my, what a good looking crowd here today. My stars, this is a beautiful crowd. Why don't you look at somebody you didn't look at before and just kind of, just smile at them, just wave at them. Just let them know they're all right, they're at the right place. Did you do that? All of you online, we're glad you're here too. We're happy to be able to be together. <clears throat> well, we're wrapping up a message series. Next week, we're going to be out of 1 Corinthians 13 on the subject of love as we head into uh, a three-part series. We're going to have different people preaching different messages for us during that time. It's going to be wonderful. I encourage you to be here as we have great uh, team members, and they're going to be able to share beautifully, and it's going to be wonderful. I look forward to it. Also, I get asked about Ken Everett, a business administrator, any update. He's been in the hospital for four months, and that's a long time. Ken went in with serious, severe back issues. That's what drove him into the hospital. So when he went in there uh, with excruciating discomfort, pain, uh, he, he experienced that. And, and then he had to have a bypass surgery, had to have a little bit of gallbladder work, and um, and uh, Ken about died a couple of times. And uh, God has spared him, and he is a tough, tough guy. And anyway, he is, um, he is hoping to go to rehab this next week. We want to pray for favor on the place he gets to go for that. Uh, he's been able to eat and been able to get some good nights of rest recently. He still has some back issues. So let's just continue to pray for him. But thank you for your prayers for him. Uh, it's been a long, winding journey for him. <clears throat> it was right after I first got here, that I delivered a message from the passage that was read just a little bit ago. And when, when, I, when I preached that message right afterwards, Ken Everett came to me about that week or so, and he said, Pastor Kevin, I'm not really going to tell you what to preach, but that message, that passage, that needs to be preached once a year at this church. Well, I have not preached this passage nor this message once a year from this church, but I have preached this message seven years ago, and I felt over the last little bit that we needed to revisit this and come back to this passage and consider what it has to say to us. And so I want to invite you to open your Bible to Galatians chapter 6 or to log on, if you would, to Galatians 6 and see if we could get some truth of what God would have for us because this is the last part of our message series on choices determine outcomes. And the beauty of this passage with choices determining outcomes is that we get to have the choice to be a redemptive church. And we have sought to create a culture like that where a person would know they did not have to be perfect. Uh, people could have pasts that are messed up and people may even have broken uh, identities and broken realities that they would come into this church with even after they have begun their journey of faith. And yet this would be a safe place for them to go that God would be able to help them. N.T. Wright in his writing says about a cricket team that they had several superstars on the team, three or four superstars, and then they had a bunch of lesser stars that were pretty much rookies or guys who were making their way in the league. Now, this team was projected to do very well, probably even to win their division, but they had problems develop on the team. <clears throat> it wasn't injury problems. They had problems that developed, and they were these. The guys who were superstars and knew they were superstars looked down on the guys who were rookies and less than they were, and they criticized them and sneered at them when they made mistakes. Something had to be done. The team had to be able to be refocused to meet its potential. They were able to have a, one of the stars anyway leave the team. And then they appointed a new guy to be captain. They shook up the roster a little bit. And when they did that, this new captain had a different culture in mind. He said, tell you what, when somebody has a breakdown somewhere, when a rookie makes a mistake, the rest of us are going to come alongside that rookie and we're going to help them 
or whenever this person is trying to find their way, or even when one of the stars messes up, we're going to come alongside, we're going to help them, and to lift them back up to get them on the way where they need to go. The team was able to be righted and to be helped. I really didn't understand this passage in this way as I've been restudying this whole passage and trying to really draw from it what it has to say to us now. But I caught it this time. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is speaking to us about that. He's talking to some superstar Christians who are very pure, very holy. They're people who really, really have their act together, and they have no toleration for people to mess up. They have no way of redeeming a broken person. And he is writing to them, and he says, I want you to know that you're not all of that. On your own, you're nothing without Christ, but with Christ, you are able to do everything he wants you to do. And this is what he is saying to them. And the beauty of this passage is that he gives us some some guidelines. He gives us some ideas as to how we should consider the idea of helping somebody who has broken or fallen in their relationship with Christ. And so we're just going to look at three of the insights today. And I want God to help us be able to see them as he is showing me afresh and anew how a mature Christian can help restore a fallen believer. The first insight is found in the little phrase, be discerning. Everybody say that together, please. Be discerning. If you liken this to an animal, let's liken it to a snake. How many of you like snakes? Lift your hand if you like snakes. There are a few among us who are very, very uh, amazing and interesting. I don't really like snakes that much, but God has them here on the world. But in the passage of Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16, he says, I want you to be wise as serpents, wise as snakes, he is saying. So in the wisdom that he has given in that positive analogy of a wise snake, he is saying to us in verse 1, it is possible for a Christian to get caught up in sin. He wants us to be wise and discerning to understand it is possible for this to happen. This that he refers to in this passage is a sin of surprise. It's not premeditated. They didn't think about it ahead of time. They didn't anticipate it. Years ago, I pastored over in Bethlehem. And while pastoring over in Bethlehem, we had a fellow who came to church. He didn't have a lot going for him in life. He hadn't had a lot of wind in his sail. Some of you have had favor and opportunity. He had not had that. As a matter of fact, in another state or two, he had some warrants out for different things that were pretty small that he had done. And we began working with him and trying to help him. One time we were putting in a sign out front. We needed to build down for a foundation for the sign. And so he joined with the guys that were digging and I went out there and talked to him and he said, yeah, I said, we're digging a hole to China. And you know, he just loved to joke around and he had battled alcohol, but he was doing great now. He was sober. He had been an alcoholic, just straight out alcoholic. And as pastor, his pastor, we developed a real friendship, and, and it, was, it was, you know, just a kindness that we had developed with each other. And one day, we got a call from his wife. His wife was a real difficult lady. She didn't come to church hardly ever. She, would, she was just difficult. I'll leave it at that. And they had a child together. And one day, she called the church. And when she called the church, she said, hey... You need to go down to Trinkler's in Allentown. He's had a relapse. You need to go help him. I don't know what to do. So I said to one of my pastors that was available at the time, I said, come on, we need to go, we need to go down to the bar. He said, what? I know we've been in a lot of stress. <laughs> You're inviting me to go to the bar. 
I said, yeah, I've never been there and I don't want to go by myself. So we jumped in the car and we drove down into Allentown and we found Trinklers. I think I could take you pretty close to where it is now. We pull up in front of Trinklers and we park. We get out. We walk inside. And there we see our friend. He is sitting up at the bar. He has thrown back a few. And he has relapsed. He was shocked to see us. His eyes were quite big. We walked around him with no judgment. We said, we love you. We know you've made a choice that you regret already. We want you to know we're here to help you. And we're here to take you from here. Would you like to go with us? We'll help you out of here. He wasn't so wasted that he was combative or anything. He said, yeah. He told us a little bit of why he had done whatever. We let it go in one ear and out the other, really. And we took him back home, and he got back on the better path. Pam and I moved to the Midwest. We ended up coming back here to pastor at Cherryville. My supervisor gave me the, pretty much the directive, don't go back to the former church. It wouldn't be healthy for that church to have you walk in, for them to have to handle you and know what to do with you as you were a pastor there for a number of years. Why don't you lay out for a while? I did. But I learned that this guy was quite sick. And he was not really going to get well. He had full-blown cancer of the lungs, and uh, it had progressed, and it was very bad for him. And one day he called me here at the office. He found out I was back. And he said, hey, this is Hollywood. I said, hey, Hollywood, what's up? I knew immediately who it was. We call, I called him Hollywood. I said, what's up? He said his whole story of health and wellness. And he said, I'm over here. But he said, I'm at peace with God. I'm ready to meet Christ. I took care of all of that. I said, that's wonderful. He said, I'm not going to get out of here, but I'm going to pass. I didn't go back over to the church, but I couldn't stay away from that hospital to see him because I knew the pastor there didn't have the history I did with him. I got in my car, drove down to 17th and Chew Park, walked in and said, where is? I gave the name. And they said, oh, he's on such and such a floor. I went upstairs to that floor, got out, walked down the hall to where the nurse station was. And I said, I'm here to see so-and-so. They said, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm a pastor. I'm a friend. They said, well, we're sorry to tell you he just passed away. I was sick inside, but yet I rejoiced. I rejoiced that when he was at Trinkler's, we went down and helped him. And I rejoiced because when I was on the phone with him, he assured me he had made his peace with God. Ladies and gentlemen, that is my message today. That is who we want to be as a church. We never want somebody to fall and break and mess up like that. We don't want that. In whatever area, we hear all kinds of things. Big things, mid-sized things, little things. There's all kinds of things. We've got to be shockproof. And when people come and say, here I am, we all know the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and Christ offers every one of us another chance. Peter said, well, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times? Jesus says, seven times 70. And I mean, that is, that's a lot. 490, right? He says, no, that's just a figure of speech. You got to just be willing to help. Do we put up with sin? No. Do we excuse sin? Never. Do we hold sin close? Not on your life. We don't do that. Read what it says. John Phillips says it this way. I love it. He says, 
this is talking about someone who has caught or found out or detected. It can also mean a person is in, in effect, uh, inadvertently caught off guard. It's like a moth flying around a light. It loves the light, but there's a web. It loves the light, but there's a web. It loves the light, but there's a web, and soon it's in the web. Oswald Chambers said this. He said, Bible characters never fell on their weak points, but on their strong ones, the unguarded strength becomes a double weakness. Gordon McDonald's, when he was called to speak at graduation, he was well-renowned among the Christian community, great writer, great leader, great influencer in the Christian community. And, and he was getting acquainted with this guy in, a, in an office as they were just meeting, and the guy and he were asking questions back and forth. And finally, the guy says to him, says, what's an area Satan would never be able to get you in if he would get you? And Gordon said, well, that's kind of an interesting, maybe an odd question, but I know one area he wouldn't get me in. It's in the area of morality. That was the very area that he fell in sometime later. The verse says here in verse 1 of your Bible, it says, a person is caught in sin. Sin is the culprit. In Galatians 5, it talks about the works of the flesh. That's talking about the works of sin that we would give ourselves to. God does not like sin. He doesn't cuddle with sin. He doesn't flirt with sin. He hates sin. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, it says it this way, for the wages, the payday of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I get a witness in the house today? Thank you, Jesus for the forgiveness that you offer us. So Gordon, when he was getting restored, he came away with five thoughts real quick. Number one, stand before God, make no excuses. That's what he did. That's what he says we should do. And then he says, repent. Repent means change your mind, turn from it, don't continue down that path. Then restoration. Now to be restored is going to take a little while. It takes a long time for trust to rebuild, and it takes a long time, and you may or may not ever get back to where you were with other people. That may happen. Restoration is a process, not a moment. Number four, he says, monitor your environments. When I was a young preacher in ministry, early development, I was in pretty high demand in preaching in the region uh, of that school. I went all over the Midwest preaching in a lot of churches. And one of my friends, his name was Dave, he also was a preacher in high demand. He went all over, and we preached all over the Midwest. And, and we would come back on Sunday nights, and we'd get back maybe 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock from wherever we had been, and we were bone tired. And, and uh, we had to get up the next morning and start work for myself. It was sometime around 6.15. And then I had to go sit through classes, and that was you know, interesting. So it was a really interesting period that I was in. So I would be gone two, three weekends a month. So Dave said to me one day, he said, Kevin, I am most vulnerable whenever I come back after one of my weekend revivals, a weekend trip where I've been preaching in the church, I'm the most vulnerable and susceptible to crazy temptation Sunday nights. I said, I am too. It's when I tend to get most distracted in that period of my life. And we were able to be accountable to each other. Accountability is the next. You need somebody that you can be accountable to. Now, I heard about a pastor who had a parishioner he would call on from time to time to lead in public prayer. And this old guy finished all of his prayers the same way. And, oh, Lord, prop us up on the leaning side. Prop us up on the leaning side. The pastor pulled him aside and said, what, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you know, I'm a farmer. I live on a farm. One day I was on my tractor and I was driving. I was going into the, 
area near my barn, and I noticed my barn was leaning a little bit. It was leaning a little bit. And I thought, man, I've got to prop that up. So I got some pine beams, and I propped up the barn on the leaning side. It's not going to fall now. It's propped up. It's going to stay there. And I got to think about my life, how people pick at me and people bring me down. I got to think about how I get distracted and get discouraged sometimes. And I just pray, Lord, prop me up on the leaning side. And he said, sometimes I remember the old life and I'm just feeling kind of called back to it, the life that I used to live. And, and I just say, Lord, prop me up on the leaning side. Pastor, when I pray, I'm just asking God to strengthen me in those areas. I know I need strength in. And that's what we need to do in this first point in discernment. Be propped up on the leaning side. The second word is gentle. I liken it to a dove. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16, it says, be wise as serpents, but it continues on, and it says, be as gentle as doves. The beginning and end of the restoration process is humility. It's humility. It's gentleness. It says in verse 1, you who are spiritual need to humble yourself down just a little bit. Marvin Vincent in his writing put it this way, before you deal severely with the erring, consider your own weakness and susceptibility to temptation and restore in view of that fact. Gentleness is kind of like a surgery or procedure. Uh, Pam and I have a friend who says uh, she has to have some shots in the eye. What a delicate procedure. That's a little bit different than a shot in your arm. You might miss a little bit or hit a little high, hit a little low, but you don't want to mess up around the eye. And that's what he's kind of likening it to here is, is you've got this two before in your own eye and your friend has a splinter and you're trying to say to your friend, hey, I want to help you get that splinter out of your eye. That's what he's saying here. You need to, you need to get a pulse, get a life. Verse 1 says restore is the goal. We may not always get it right. Matter of fact, I think we've swung and missed a few times. Probably I have. Maybe you have. But someone was talking about their grandchild to me the other day and talking in disparaging terms about how bad their grandchild was. <clears throat> I am an optimist, and I see hope, and I see possibilities, and I say, hey, there's another way out of whatever's going on. God has a future. Uh, this word is used in Mark chapter 1 and verse 19, this word restore, where they were mending their nets, they were restoring their nets. They're getting them ready so they might be able to use them again in the future. One of the things I used to love about looking into our choir, we had a choir back when choirs were pretty popular. We had a, a beautiful choir. They did a recording. They traveled some places. They were very good, very talented. And our choir, when they would, they would sing, I would look through the choir and I knew their story, each one of them. And I was thinking, wow, redemption there, redemption there. Look what that person overcame. Look at the battle that person did, but they're still singing the praises to God. It was a beautiful thing, mended for the next use. It's a good Samaritan stopping and, and putting the, the wine on to clean the wound, but it's also putting the oil on to soothe the wound. In other words, gentleness could be spelled another way. G-R-A-C-E, grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But do you know what it says down the line? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It's grace has brought me safe this far. It's grace going to lead me home. We don't stand here on our own merit. We stand here through the grace and strength of Christ. I heard about six Olympians who a number of years ago in Seattle, Washington, were lined up for the 100-yard dash. And as they lined up for that 100-yard dash, they were ready. The gun sounded, pow! They were off. About halfway down, one of them fell, scraped up his arms, his knees, 
The other five came back to where he was, got him, joined hands across the group, and all walked across the finish line at the same time. It was the Special Olympics. This morning, very early, for two or three hours, I was awake and I was praying. And I was praying over this congregation, many of you, praying for myself, my family as well, all of our campuses. And as I was praying over, I was thinking about where I was headed with this message. And I think about how God has given me a burden and a heart and a compassion for this church. And I view this church like that illustration just shares, with a loving heart, not ready to hit you hard, but ready to help you up. Not ready to affirm your sin, but ready to help you move forward. Because one day I know we're going to all pass, and when we pass away, die, I want us to all be in heaven. I can't wait to look over and see all of BWC. Oh, my stars, it's going to be wonderful. I don't want any of you to be missing. I want all of you to be there. Nobody giving up on Christ. Nobody fainting in their journey. Well, the last instruction we're going to look at today, you may get more out of the passage that I'm giving, but the last is this, be responsible. I liken this to a St. Bernard. You know the rescue dogs, right? The rescue dogs. That barrel that you see on that picture is a barrel that has supplies in it for whoever is hurting. That red with the cross on it is saying, hey, I'm emergency rescue. I'm here to help you. I liken it to that. So what does a rescuer need to have with them? What do they need to know? Well, verse 1 says, guard your own soul so you don't fall prey to the temptation. John Phillips puts it this way. No state of holiness exists in this life that is above temptation. I have found when it's been my opportunity to help somebody restore and recover that there are certain sins that people might commit that tend to have almost a demonic presence to them. And those sins that they commit... I have to double down and make sure that I am taking keen inventory of myself, that I might be really connected to God and really having prayer going on. Because as we deal with those influences that are so dark and so challenging and so evil, I don't want to fall prey to that myself. Now, in verse 2, there's a Greek word that he uses here, barrios. And burial means weighed down, pressed down. It means overburdened. That's what it means here. And so he says, what I want you to do is to use this to share the total load. He's talking about somebody who is really crushed down and the rest of us coming along to bear that load with them. As a matter of fact, he uses the same word in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought that we would never live through it. That is Paul admitting that they were smashed flat emotionally, smashed flat in life. Everything was wrong in their life. They needed people to come along and lift them up. They need the Holy Spirit's help inside them. And then it says here in verse 2, fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I've studied this passage many times, but I never quite grasped what it was saying there, and I think I have a better handle on it now. I'm still evolving in my understanding, but I think this is what that means. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus gives the greatest information that we should have. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 5 says, continue carrying your load when you help somebody else. In other words, you don't help somebody else. Say, well, we helped them. Now let's go do something stupid. No, we helped them. Thank you, Jesus, that we were able to help them. Maintain your personal integrity. And verse 4 says, so you might come through that rewarded beautifully. 
That's what it's about. When I first started out in ministry, many years ago, I lived in Overland Park, Kansas, and while there, I started out as a student pastor. And as a student minister, my role expanded to do whatever they told me to do or asked me to do. And one day they said, you're going to be driving a minibus and you're going to take a group of senior adults to a church camp three hours away in central Missouri. I said, aye, aye, sir, I'll do it. And so it was my role to do. We loaded up all the luggage, got all the people in the van, and I started driving. Pam was following in our car, and she had our daughter Andrea. Andrea was about that long in a car seat at that time, just a little baby. She's sitting in the car seat. As I'm driving along on these three hours, I know that she knows the way, I know I know the way. So as we're rolling along, I'm thinking, you know, every once in a while I should look back. So I look back in the mirror and I see that she's behind, right? And so I keep an eye out like that, and then I just get engaged in conversation. Eventually, I got so involved in conversation, and I didn't think to look back. And eventually, I am about 15 minutes now from where I'm going to be at the camp. It's pretty rural at that place, so what I do is I pull into a gas station now so I can gas up. While I pull into the gas station, I get all set and ready to gas it up, and I look around to see Pam and Andrea. No Pam, no Andrea. No Pam, no Andrea. No, Pam, no, Andrea. Hmm. We don't have cell phones. It was a day of string and tin can, and we didn't have <coughs> the cell phones yet. I'm thinking, oh, my stars, what to do, what to do? So I'm thinking, well, I'll solve one problem. I'll take these folks on down to their camp. It's only 15 minutes from here, and then I'll figure out what's up with Pam. I can call from there. And so uh, we load on back up. We get our gas, we drive the other 15 minutes, we pull into the camp, and there the caretaker of the camp, the lady, she comes walking out with a stern face, and she says, where's your wife? I mean, literally looking a bullet right through me, where's your wife? And I said, well, she was following me, but I'm not sure where she is. Well, I'll tell you what happened. She said, back up the road about an hour and a half, she had a blowout, and she had to pull over to the side of the road. And she had to walk across the highway with the baby, called her dad, and he's coming over to get her. He lived about an hour away. I said, phew, I know where she is. I learned five lessons that day. <laughs> Aren't they pretty? But here we go. Number one, put the lesson up. We did throw the blown tire away. Whatever that problem is, address it. Don't excuse it. Address it. Get rid of it. Get it out of your life. You say, but Kev, it was something I can't change. You can take it to the foot of the cross and leave it there. Remember the message on stresses. Take your sins and do the same thing. Give them to God. Second, second thing I learned, we did not throw the car away. Well, that was kind of dumb to throw the car away, wouldn't it be? No, we kept the car. Uh, the third one I'm pretty fond of, we did not throw me away. <laughs> Thank you. We're still married, she didn't get mad, and her father never said a negative word to me about it. Amen. <laughs> you know our Heavenly Father doesn't remember our sins against us any longer? Yes. <clears throat> Man, I want to shout and run the aisles on that. 
because that means freedom from stupid. We benefited from the right, helpful people. Her dad. And they took care of the problem, and then the tire company put a new tire on. Okay, another. We move forward together from that experience better than before. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for every one of you. And I believe God can help that happen. Now, let's look at James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. The New Living Translation puts this. This is rich. Make reference to it. It's not in your notes there. This is rich. This is a summary of the message that he gives in Galatians. But now it's not given from Paul writing to the church. It's given from James. James, a half-brother of Jesus. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth, that will happen. Doesn't have to, but it will. And is brought back, that's restored, that's what we're talking about today. You can be sure that whoever brings a sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. That's the goal, and that is Christ's way, that is the Bible way, and that is a BWC way. Lord, I don't know how you'll choose to use this message today, but I know you'll use it. Rearrange our thoughts in our minds towards some of our family, towards some of our friends, towards some of our uh, people that we know that maybe we don't even know what to do with them. Help us to give them all to you and leave them with you. You know how to forgive us and cleanse us and make us right. So hear the confession of any who maybe are confessing sin right now to be made right with you. for the next chance you give to us. Thank you for the new life that we find in you. I pray, Lord, that for each one of us, you'll help us to make choices that really bring about positive outcomes for your honor and your glory and for the sake of another soul somewhere. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.